Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Tom Fraser uses Romans 8, 22-39 to talk about suffering. It's a problem each of us must face. How we respond reveals our biblical understanding of the purpose of it. Let's hear today's message. It's an honor for me to stand here on this frigid, frosty morning and uh, to open God's Word for all of us. Uh, I want to extend on behalf of my wife and me, and as well as the church family, our deep sympathy to Pastor Clint and to Stacy and to the entire family as they mourn the loss of and the homegoing of, uh, state of Clint's mom this past week. We're so thankful that uh, Kathy was a part of our church congregation for the past 10 years. She offered us a lot of life and a lot of love and with a beautiful smile that enriched our lives every time we saw her. So we thank you, Pastor Clint, for sharing her with us and we look forward to seeing her again in that eternal home that God is preparing for all who love him. When I retired from pastoral ministry back in 2012, I assumed that my only ongoing ministry in retirement or semi-retirement would be to serve as the team chaplain for the Toledo Walleye and the Detroit Red Wings. Following open heart surgery two years later, I wondered if there might be any, any ministry at all that I might be actively involved in. But through a series of God-coordinated events, including the healing of my body, I ended up finding a ministry niche. And that niche has been to come alongside of grieving families and to officiate at funerals, in addition to working with hockey players. These are families who are unknown to me at the time until I receive a request from any number of local funeral directors who ask me to officiate at funerals for these families who have no contact with the church or with any church uh, to have some type of funeral service or celebration of life or whatever they choose to call it. But they have no clergy, they have no church to turn to. And when I say that God opened the doors to this ministry niche, I'm really not kidding. Because within these past 10 years, since May of 2014 to the present, I've officiated at just, just under 800 funerals. That is a large congregation of people. And I say that not to uh, in any way tell you how busy I have been, but to emphasize the fact that there are a lot of hurting, suffering people who have no hope, who have little uh, that they can hang on to during this time of suffering from the vast majority, probably more than 90% are people who do not know Jesus. So it hurts every time. It hurts me as I feel their hurt and their pain. The psalmist in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 certainly felt the debilitating effect of suffering. These are his words. He said, day and night I cry and tears are my only food. Why am I so sad? Why am I so troubled? Why must I go on suffering from the cruelty of my enemies? If God is so good, where is he? In your times of suffering, and I think we've all been there at one point, have you ever asked yourself that question, at least to yourself? If God is so good, why do I hurt? I want to talk about suffering this morning. A question that I want to raise, and I want to look to God's word for his direction. 
Please join me as we pray together for a moment. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This past summer, I experienced the harsh realities of life through the eyes and the emotions of two deeply grieving families. One Friday, I officiated at the funeral for a 36-year-old mother of two, a mother who passed away suddenly after suffering with breast cancer for six years. The very next day, I officiated at another funeral. This time, it was for a 24-year-old young man who was killed on the New Jersey Turnpike while tending to his disabled vehicle on the side or shoulder of the highway. A careless driver traveling at speeds that were estimated at 80 miles per hour plowed into this man and his car and killed him instantly at 24. Those surviving families are not alone in their grief and their pain. Two weeks from now, I will be officiating at the service for a 29-year-old mother of three who has been in the news lately, if you've been watching, because her husband strangled her to death and then he himself was killed when confronted by police. It's not going to be easy. None of us, though, is really immune or disconnected from the problem of suffering. We all know what pain and grief feels like. The name Johnny Erickson Tata may ring a bell with some of you, at least, here this morning. She's now 74 years old and has been an acclaimed author, an artist, an inspirational speaker for many years. Shortly after completing her high school education many years ago, she made the accidental mistake of diving into shallow water in a swimming pool. She broke her neck and became quadriplegic. She has not known one day since then without intense suffering and pain and helplessness. Oh, she'd been a student athlete at one point about to enter college with bright hope for her future, but suddenly her world was shattered. She had firmly believed in the goodness of God growing up in a Christian home. But after that freak accident, God didn't seem so good. Prior to the accident, Johnny thought that she had suffered when her high school hockey team, of which she was a member, was eliminated from the playoffs. She thought that was suffering. She and her best friend, a Christian gal named Jackie, had cried together on the team bus following that loss. As Christian teammates, they consoled each other by singing softly the hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Hallelujah, what a Savior. They knew they had a Savior who understood their heavy hearts. One of them even quoted Psalm 107, verse 1, that says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. But everything turned upside down after her accident. Again, I ask, have you ever wondered if God is good? Why do I hurt? There are other ways to word this question, a question that is often raised by Christians and non-Christians alike. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? You've heard people raise that question, I'm sure. If God really has the power to stop human suffering, why doesn't he use it? These are tough questions to face. And yet, despite the difficulty of these questions, we, we come up with some reasons. We come up with some answers to these questions. Actually, there are some good reasons why we suffer, whether it's physical or emotional or financial or in some other way. 
One reason is that I know that all things fit together into a pattern for my good and for God's glory. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. And that's our focal point this morning. Romans 8.28. That doesn't mean good fame. That doesn't mean good fortune. It simply means being like Christ. A second reason is that hardships force me to make decisions about Christ. I can choose to believe him more or I can choose to, to believe him less. And then third, suffering does something to the character that's being formed in me. You see, in the crucible of suffering, we learn things such as patience and humility and gentleness and other character traits. Suffering also has a way of making heaven come alive. When we're suffering, we tend to think more about the future, at least some of the time. And then it also makes me more sensitive to other people who are hurting. These are five good reasons, I think, that often explain why we suffer. And I think it's good to develop a mental checklist like this so that at least we can partially answer that nagging, sticking question about God's goodness. Why does he allow people to suffer, especially good people? Hey, why not? Why shouldn't we expect to suffer? After all, God is more concerned about conforming you and me to the image of Jesus Christ than he is about our comfort zones. God is more interested in forming inward character development than my outward circumstances. But yet, sometimes after we recite all of our reasons, even those good reasons aren't enough. Good reasons don't always meet our needs, do they? Sometimes they seem like hollow cliches. Even when you've got all of your theological ducks in a row, it's just not enough. Because sometimes the pain you feel seems to outweigh even the very best of benefits. Johnny Erickson Tata discovered this for herself one night while she was lying in her hospital bed after her accident. That was the night that her best friend and hockey teammate, Jackie, sneaked into the hospital after hours because she'd gotten off work late that night. Jackie hid behind a couch in the visitor's lounge and waited until they turned out all the lights in the hallway and the nurse's station cleared and Joni's other roommates were snoring away in their beds. I said, Joni, it's Johnny. Johnny was still awake. She was lying there in pain in the darkness when she heard a movement near her door. She peered through the guardrail of her hospital bed and she spotted her friend Jackie crawling on her hands and knees across the linoleum floor. And when she got to Johnny's bed, she stood up, she lowered the guardrail, as, and as many girls will do, she actually climbed into bed with Johnny and snuggled up next to her. And she lifted Johnny's paralyzed hand and she intertwined it with her own. And as many schoolgirls will do, they began to sing. And she faced Johnny on the pillow and she began to sing softly the song they had sung not many weeks earlier. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. Had a little more meaning this time because that action underscored to Johnny just how good God really is. No matter if you're roaming around with any appreciable suffering, and some of us would have to say in all honesty, I'm not suffering, 
this is probably for someone else, and maybe it is. Or whether you find yourself confined this morning with a walker or a wheelchair, or in some way you're physically incapacitated. I say to you as well, God is good all the time. And God always has his reasons for your suffering and mine. And these reasons are always good reasons. They're always right and true. The Apostle Paul was writing out of a life of suffering when he penned these words in Romans chapter 8. Amazing words they are. And when he comes to verse 28, it's like a pivotal point. Notice what he says right there. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, all things do fit into a pattern for good. At the same time, every suffering person will tell you that when your heart is wrung out like a sponge, a list of 15 biblical reasons as to why this is happening can only sting like salt in a wound. Because good answers are not enough. The pain seems to outweigh the benefits. That's because the problem of suffering is not about something. The problem of suffering is about someone. Someone in your gut and heart. When you're suffering, it's not as though you can walk up to a, to a chalkboard or a whiteboard and pick up the marker and calmly write the words in a cold, detached way. Why are you allowing this to happen? You don't phrase it in that abstract theological way. When you're hurting, when you want answers and you need reasons, your question is, why? You're not asking it to a thing, are you, when you say why? You're asking that question to someone. You're asking that question to God. God, why? You're addressing a person. In the heat of emotion and disappointment, you cry out, what's up with this? I don't need this. You see, the real answer to suffering is someone. Because when a person suffers, he or she is like a small child in tears, looking up in the face of his or her daddy and saying, why, daddy? Why? That child, when he asks that question, really doesn't want answers. He doesn't need reasons as much as he needs daddy. Right then, to reach down, to pick him up, to hug him, to hold him, and to pat him on the back and say, there, there, everything's going to be all right. Daddy's here. Friends, that's our heartfelt assurance, isn't it? It's that fatherly assurance that there's an order to our spinning out of control reality. Our heartfelt plea is for fatherly assurance that somehow, some way, everything will be okay. That our world is not splitting apart as it seems, no matter how much it does. That it's not disintegrating into a kind of nightmarish chaos. And that our world is orderly and stable. That's what we want to know. I'm saying God must be at the center of things. He must be at the center of our suffering. What's more, he must be warm and personal and compassionate. That's our daddy. That's our heartfelt cry when we suffer. And God, just like a good father, doesn't content himself to just give us good advice. He doesn't give us reasons. He doesn't even give us answers necessarily. He goes one better. 
He gives us himself. And we see this over and over in Scripture. Let me share some examples. In Isaiah chapter 54, God becomes the husband to the divorced woman. In Psalm chapter 10, he becomes the father to the orphaned. In Zechariah 2 verse 5, he becomes a wall of fire to those who need protection. In Isaiah 62, he becomes the bridegroom to the person who grieves that she'll never marry. In Exodus 15, he becomes the healer to the sick. In Isaiah 9, he becomes the wonderful counselor to the, to the confused, to the depressed. In John chapter 4, he becomes living water to those who are thirsty. In John chapter 6, he is the bread of life to those who are hungry for more than the world can give. You see, the Bible has good reasons that explain why people suffer. But in each case, you cannot distance the Bible's answer from God himself. That God is a part of suffering will not complicate matters at all. How or to what extent he created the problem isn't, isn't really the question. He is the answer. And you and I need him and we need him desperately. God is extremely good in the midst of our suffering because he himself gives himself. He doesn't give us a list of answers. He doesn't give us a bunch of words. He is the word made flesh, giving his life on the cross, the place where we actually have the greatest evidence of God's goodness. There he hangs with nails piercing his hands, hands that are nearly ripped apart. There he, there he is beaten, his body being slashed, flies are buzzing, hatred is hammering away. Friends, these aren't dry theological facts. They're not theoretical. This isn't love in an abstract idea. No, as someone has said, this is love poured out like wine as strong as fire. When we suffer, we need to ask ourselves if we can trust a God who actually got messy when it comes to suffering. He smeared his blood on the cross, writing in red ink the words, I love you. That's what we see. I love you, which saves us from the fires of hell, which incidentally is the ultimate suffering, isn't it? It's one of the best answers to the question, why is there suffering? It's, it's because there's a hell. And I don't want to go to hell, and suffering only reminds me of that. God gives us little tiny tastes of hell on earth so that we might be awakened out of our spiritual slumber with an ice-cold splash of eternal realities right in our faces. Suffering comes our way to compel us to God. Besides that, suffering reveals who we are. Maybe that's the best benefit. Because when we suffer, when the pressure confines us, when limitations crowd in upon us, then evil begins to fizzle. All the things within us that God wants to remove, like dross, begin to rise to the surface where they hit the bright clear of day and the cleansing light of the Lord Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Were it not for suffering, you and I would just stumble on through life thinking that life was a parade. 
a parade of 24 hours that goes on and on with one high school reunion, one college class reunion, one family reunion after another until suddenly we find ourselves smack up against the gravestone. But it's a little too late to think about heaven and hell then. We'd all stumble through a life unaware that there's a heaven or a hell were it not for God giving us a taste of suffering. And so God allows suffering so that nothing, and I mean nothing, will come between himself and us. Listen again to the words of Paul, starting with verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine or hardship or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors, for, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth, nor broken necks, nor broken hearts, nor broken homes will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is good, not because he gives us and explains the reasons why, but because he gave himself on Calvary. This spotless Son of God, in the span of nine hours, bore the sins of more than 40 billion people. And he didn't die generally for the general sins of the general world. He did it specifically for you and for me. I praise God the Father has no more anger left for us because it was all poured out on Jesus. And all that God has left for us is mercy and forgiveness and tender compassion and grace upon grace upon grace. The songwriter put it, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? One doctor paraphrased that to say, amazing love, how can it be that God should plunge a knife in his chest for me? Me, cool, indifferent, intellectual. That he, the God of life, should conquer death by embracing it. And that he should destroy the power of sin by letting it destroy him. That's amazing. See, friends, God wrote the book on suffering. And he called it Jesus. This is why God is good. He is good because he gives himself. So let me ask you, are you broken? Remember, he's broken with you. You can endure almost anything, even if it means, even if it means sitting slump-shouldered in a hospital room by the bedside of a loved one who might be dying of cancer. You can endure almost anything if you know that God is sitting next to you. Jesus was the most God-forsaken man who ever lived so that he might say to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Thomas Merton, the Roman Catholic mystic and author, said, in order to suffer without dwelling on our own affliction, we must think about a greater affliction and turn to Christ. So it's not a matter of dry technique. It's not a matter of memorizing reasons or quoting pat answers, which we're quick to do. It's a matter of simple faith. Johnny Erickson Tata planned to attend a high school reunion a few years ago. She called on the phone one of her classmates who used to play on her hockey team with her back in the day. And she asked her friend, uh, is Jackie going to be there? 
Remember Jackie, the one who had snuggled into bed with her years earlier? And her friend on the other end of the line said, Johnny, haven't you heard? Well, she said, I did hear that Jackie and her husband have separated. Johnny replied, well, that's not what I'm referring to, her friend said. Her friend continued and said, you know her teenage son, Joshua? He's been having a lot of problems lately. Bad grades in school, hanging out with the wrong crowd, getting into drugs. Well, he made a profession of faith some time ago, but he's wandered away from the Lord. Last night, she said, the evening news reported that Jackie's son was found dead in a burnt-out fire. He set himself on fire, and his dad's house burned down. He left a suicide note in the mailbox. Johnny was crushed, of course, by this bad news, so she immediately wrote to her friend Jackie. In her letter, she said this, and I quote, Ken, that is Johnny's husband, and I are planning to be in Baltimore, and I'm hoping that we can see each other then. If so, Jackie, I would want to hold your hand as you once held mine in the hospital. Do you remember when you crawled into bed with me and I would softly sing to you as you once sang to me, man of sorrows? I don't know what else to write but that. May the man of sorrows be your comfort. And as in the hospital, I would hope that you would feel what I felt. And what I still remember to this day, peace profound and a soul settled. Peace, Jackie, not answers, not reasons, end quote. Well, Johnny saw Jackie in Baltimore, and they sang that song again together. In their conversation, Jackie said, Johnny, I've got this cross around my neck. It's one that my son gave me. And every time I start to feel desperate, like I just can't make it, like I'm in prison, I hold on to that cross. You see, Jackie had placed her hand in the hand of the one who holds all of the answers. And for her, that was enough. May it be enough for you and for me as well. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the reason for our suffering and that it drives us to you because you bore all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our sins, and you did it for each of us. You didn't die generally for people in general. You died for each of us individually. And we thank you for that. Thank you that we can find in you the reason why we suffer. Oh God, help us to turn to you always in times of need so that we will be able to declare always from the depths of our hearts, God is good. He's good to me. He's good all the time. I pray in his name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.